is the Human-Centric Investing Podcast with John Deal, where we look at the world of investing through the eyes of our clients. Over to you, John. Hello, financial advisors. This is John Deal, Senior Vice President of the Applied Insights Team at Hartford Funds. Welcome to Episode 36 of the Human-Centric Investing Podcast. Joining me today on the podcast is Dr. Christy Archuleta. Uh, Dr. Archuleta is an expert in financial therapy, and some of you listening to the podcast may have had an opportunity to listen to our webinar that we did not long ago with Dr. Archuleta, and I'd, I'd uh, urge you, if you haven't had a chance to do so, uh, you may want to listen to that webinar, which is available on our website. Uh, but first, I wanted to uh, welcome Dr. Christy Archuleta. Christy, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. This will This will be fun. Yeah, absolutely. Well, fun. It's funny you mention that, right? Because when most people think about fun, uh, we think about retirement and all the fun that we're going to have in retirement. But, but Christy, we know that, uh, you know, for, for some folks, that vision of, uh, of kind of sailboats, ride, bike rides on the beach, uh, doing all those things we've always dreamed of doesn't go as smoothly as many think. And today's, in today's podcast, we want to talk about transitions and specifically today, the transition that takes place when someone decides to uh, not just change careers, but maybe take a, a different look at their working life going forward. For some, that may be full retirement. For some, that may be doing something different. But this is a time of our life we've always envisioned uh, a, a certain way, right? And most of it's pretty positively biased. But I know, Christy, in talking with you that Sometimes those visions that we have in our head don't always pan out. And one of the main reasons is because couples don't really talk about what their retirement visions are. Can you talk to us a little bit about, is that something that's uh, frequent or is it something that occurs once in a while? How often do you see it? I know you're an expert in the field of financial therapy and just by the name, it seems that uh, it must be more popular than, than some folks think. Yeah, so I think it happens much more frequently than we we like to think about it. I think couples a lot of times going into retirement even think that they have that vision of what they want retirement to look like. And then once they get into retirement, it may not be panning out quite as they hoped. Maybe from an individual perspective, it's not panning out quite like they hoped or quite like they thought it might. Uh, maybe they don't feel quite as satisfied as they as they thought they would in in retirement. But also when their vision with their significant other, with their with their partner or spouse does doesn't align and they don't find that out until they're in retirement because maybe they haven't talked about it yet. Um, sometimes that happens for a number of reasons. You know, it can happen because you know, we just get busy with life, with kids, with work. And we, we kind of go through life and we think this is, we're looking forward to this and we'll, we'll do this. We'll do these fun things when we get to retirement. Um, but we're so caught up in just life that we, that we don't make the, that time to have those conversations. Sometimes I heard, we do. Christy, I heard someone <laughs> say that, you know, when, when someone retires, we go from spending on average about six hours a day with our spouse, and that includes meal yeah. times, hanging out together, to 16 hours a day after we retire. And I think yeah. some, sometimes when we talk about vision, I guess my question is when you say vision, are we talking about like 
gigantic goals, like what life is going to be about? Or are we talking about what we're doing for lunch tomorrow? Is it both types of visions or where do you see most of the issues occur? Yeah. So I think it happens a lot of times at that larger vision because, yeah, just like you said, Going from six to 16 hours together, you think I'm going to get to spend all of this time with my significant other that maybe I haven't been able to because we have been caught up in, in work and kids and taking care of parents or whatever it might be. And how is that going to look? So you have this broader vision of how you want to spend your time. But then when you get down to really daily tasks, what it, what is that like every day? I think that's where people are often surprised that, okay, well, what are we going to do for lunch? What are we going to do for dinner? What are we going to do for breakfast? What are we going to do in the afternoon? What are we going to do this weekend? Um, that really changes the whole dynamic in which they have to operate with one another. And because they've spent limited time during those working years together, they're having to get to know their spouse again. And so going from spending six hours a week to 16 hours a week is, is quite a bit different. And so I have to, I have to learn how to relate to my spouse differently when the the time that we're allowed together increases so dramatically. I think also when you think about retirement, a lot of people think about a time of either relaxation or recreation Mm -hmm. or things that we're going to be doing. And Christy, it kind of takes me back to a different stage of my life when I first became a parent. And I remember with our first child, I I thought when when my, when my daughter said that she wanted to have some friends come over, she's only a toddler. My wife said she thought that'd be a good idea. Well, immediately I thought, Oh my gosh, you know, if one kid is hard to entertain, what am I going to do with four or five of them? And when I discovered that when those friends came over, they disappeared down the basement and I didn't see them for the rest of the day. And I actually had a chance to relax. I thought, this is pretty cool. Where do we get more of these kids? Right. But yeah. I, I think about this between spouses, because oftentimes I think about it for myself. If if I'm not fully engaged in what I've done for the past 30 years for a career, am I going to am I going to retire and then expect my spouse to be my sole source of entertainment? And mm-hmm. oftentimes This is what I hear is that, you know, what are we going to do tomorrow? What are we doing tonight? Where are we going to eat? What are we going to, you know, whoa, hold on a second, right? I didn't have this all planned out. Yeah, exactly. It's again, you know, you have that that social interaction and primarily that sole source source of interaction. You could become dependent upon your spouse because you might have gotten that interaction through your work, through your colleagues, through the people that you were seeing on a daily basis. And when you take that out of the out of the equation, then you might just be left with your spouse if you don't have other support structures in place. And so people can find themselves feeling very lonely, feeling depressed, feeling really bored um, because it's not quite like how they fantasized or envisioned life would look like. So, Christy, do you encourage people as they're approaching this this change of life phase, this retirement, if you will, do you encourage them ahead of time to think about the social groups that they may begin to access on the other side of what's going to take the place of the social networks at their primary uh, career spot? Is that something that, you know, somebody should look into or think about even before we get to that point? Oh, definitely, definitely. So in addition, just to thinking about, you know, what's the broader hope for what retirement looks like, 
part of that is being being and staying or maintaining social support networks, which we know is incredibly important for our well-being of our, our retirees. And so how are they going to navigate? And sometimes I think it's really difficult, at least from my experience, it's really difficult for couples to think that the social interactions will be so much different. And then I might need to be thinking about how, if I take away my work friends, what, what is it, what am I left with? Am I engaged in any other so, sort of community organizations or social support networks or clubs where I can access that social support? Um, am I, do I have a strong connection with family members and neighbors? So what does that look like? Um, so I might not have had as much time during my working years to engage in those sorts of things, but what's that going to look like in retirement and how am I going to, how am I going to actually tap in and access those, those opportunities that might be available to me in the community where I live? And Christy, how much of a problem is it when I think about couples who are pro- approaching this retirement stage? I mean, I always hate to put an age on it, but let's face it, it's usually somewhere between 50 and 70 that people are kind of toying with this for the first time, this, mm-hmm. you know, changing my work role. How how much of a problem is it? Because when I think about that, I think, you know, gee, here are couples that have been through the traumas of raising a family, of getting the kids through school, maybe of getting the kids settled down a little bit, like all those things that we, we knew were going to be a challenge, we've kind of overcome it, and now we get to the point where, you know, wow, retirement, that's supposed to be where we get to take time off and relax and enjoy one another's time. How much of a problem is it when I assume that because my spouse and I have been married for some time and have been through these various tribulations that we kind of know one another, right? We're, we're kind of be, going to be fine. We'll figure this out. Do you see that becoming a challenge for couples? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yes. So I, couples do this anyway. Um, and so if they've c- created a pattern of making assumptions around how they operate, interact with one another, make decisions, then that's that pattern is going to continue in, into retirement. You're not really going to expect that to change. So it's so important for couples to really articulate what is it that I want in retirement and what do I want that to look like and be able to communicate as clearly as you can to your partner what it is that you're hoping to get out of retirement, what you need from your partner in order to be to, for it to be sustainable. Um, and for you to have a really healthy relationship with one another, because if your partner doesn't know, how, how else are they supposed to know? We can't, we can't assume, but we often make assumptions that our partner does know or should know. And they really can't know because you haven't communicated that to them. And I think the other thing is we can, we can try to have those conversations. It's helpful to have those conversations the earlier, the better. And just to make that a comfortable part of the process. Because in retirement, when you act, Actually make that transition. It's just like any other transition, major transition in life where you don't exactly know what it's going to be like. Retirement doesn't come with a manual. It's kind of like 
you were talking about an example with your kids. When I first had my, when I had my first baby, walked out of the hospital, I was like, oh my goodness, we're being entrusted with this tiny <laughs> individual. It comes with no manual. I have no idea what to do with this baby. <laughs> How are we going to keep this baby alive? And so this, it's the same thing with retirement or it can have similarities to retirement in terms of this is a major life transition. You're not really going to know what it's going to be like until you get there. But if you've had the conversations around it prior, you're going to be more prepared. And the more you see alignment around different areas of your life, the easier it's going to be. And it's the easier it's going to be to have those conversations about those expectations or what's really going on for you and what you really need from your partner in order to have a really healthy relationship in retirement. Well, I think that's pretty important, right? Because, Christy, one of the things I think about is as we move through earlier phases of our lives, whether it was uh, choosing a school or a profession, a career, whether it was being married or having children for the first time, many of us had role models or mentors or, or good friends that we could talk to about this. But when it comes to retirement, sometimes there's an assumption that Oh, you know what retirement's all. I mean, how hard is it to figure out what you're going to do in retirement? But is seeking mentors something that you suggest people look for? I think it's really helpful to seek out mentors, whether those are peers, whether they are family members um, who've gone through the process, but just gathering like, what what is this like? I mean, I often talk to other parents about what it's like, you know, for my child to be in these different stages. What are their experiences and how can I utilize that information to help help me in the stage that we're in with our kids? And so similar similarities with retirees. If you can talk to other retirees or people who are in that phase of life, then it's really helpful to help yourselves navigate, oh, so-and-so did this or so-and-so did that. And that was really helpful to me when when we're trying to navigate this transition, because it's not just about the financial aspect of retirement. Do we have enough money to do the things that we want to do? And that's a lot of times what we focus on in, in retirement planning is, do we have enough to do the things that we want to do? And are we gonna, is that money going to last long enough? But this is such an emotional aspect of life um, where we're not we might have this fear, be scared of looking at the reality of that. This is we could really be going into our the last third of our life. And so we're, we're not at the beginning anymore. We're, we're more towards the end. And that can be really, really scary to be thinking about what does this mean for me and where I am in my in my stage of life. And then the other aspect of it is that a lot of times people don't communicate about this is fear of conflict and the fear of having that conflict in my with my spouse. This is supposed to like you said at the outset, this is supposed to be a happy time. We we think about retirement as this fun time that we're going to do all of these things that we've always wanted to do or that we want to do and we haven't had time to do them previously. And if I have an expectation or if I need something or want something that is not the same as my spouse or I don't think that it's the same as my spouse or my spouse may not support that, 
I may not want to raise that concern because I might be afraid of conflict with my spouse. And if that's been the pattern previously, the pattern's probably going to continue. And so to keep the peace, I might not say anything, but then that also keeps me frustrated and um, I we might be having a little bit more bickering as we go along or complete avoidance of one another. And so then that's not healthy either. Well, and Christy, you know, using the typical couples argumentative style, I'm going to say to you, well, OK, you brought it up. You brought up the topic of money. And mm-hmm. let's, there's a lot of the folks listening to this. Well, basically all the folks listening to this podcast are in the area are in the industry of financial advice. It's 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 what they do day in day out. And so as we talk about some of the topics that we've already mentioned, somebody may say, "Wait, wait, wait! I'm a financial planner, right? Why do I need to get involved with this kind of thing?" And I think that the clearest link to what we do as advisors, and I'm pretty sure that you would tell us it's more than just about the money. But let's just start with the one that's closest, which is money. So mm-hmm. what kind of things do people argue about? And I, you know, what I've observed, Christy, is that it, probably the surface level of the money arguments are around spending, right? It's mm-hmm. what do we spend money on? How much are we spending? And it's, it's dollars and cents. It's, it seems frustrating. Um, but talk about that for a moment, but talk about, is that really all we need to know? about the money aspects, or do we need to go, or should couples be going deeper in terms of what money means to them? Yeah, so just to kind of back up just a little bit, so it obviously this is it's more than about money. So financial advisors, this is can really be where some value can be provided, is understanding the psychological and emotional and relational dimension to money. It's not just a financial aspect. And if you're listening to this podcast, you probably already know that. Um, but m- money is the number one stressor for Americans today. Um, that has been shown by the American Psychological Association for like the last 14 years. So it's consistently being shown as one of the top stressors. So it's stressing us out. On top of that, money is one of the most thought about issues in couple relationships, um, it's not always the most thought about. It might be chores or children or um, those sorts of things, but it has been shown to be the most tensions, uh, tensions uh, issue that couples fight about. So these are really intense arguments, and it's. Like you talked about, a lot of times it's over like you spend and you save too much and, you know, you're too tight and you're too much of a spender You because we often marry the opposite of our ourselves. And so we have those arguments. But really, it's an argument over our core beliefs around money. And we all have these core beliefs that we've developed early in childhood that have been either confirmed or manifested over a period of time based upon other cultural messages that we've received. And we don't walk around thinking about, I I believe this or I believe that about money. We just know that I I do these things. And a lot of times we don't necessarily recognize that I'm spending a lot or maybe I, I'm really 
hold on to my money. I'm, I'm the, that tightwad. Um, but we're really fighting over core beliefs and how money makes us feel. And oftentimes that's related to uh, a story, something that's impacted mm-hmm. us or how exactly. money has shaped us over time, right? Whether it's, exactly. you know, whether it was parental success or mismanagement or uh, how money was never talked about in the family, right? Mm-hmm. All those kind of things are part of it, aren't they? Yes. So everybody has a story. Everybody has a story. And if you don't understand the story, then it's really difficult to understand why people do what they do. And so what may look like crazy or irrational behavior may really make a whole lot of sense if you understand that person's story. So, for example, you might see someone who is does not want to spend money on anything to the point where they're willing to not access health care that they might need, even though they can they can afford afford uh, the access to health care. And that may stem from the fact that they want the money to make them feel secure and stable because they lived through a period of time like the Great Depression where those resources were not there at all. And so they have this mindset that there will never be um, that there's never going to be enough. And so. To spend that would be really, really difficult and go against that real, real core belief. But all anyone else might see is they're not spending on things that they really need. Why is that? They're just crazy. Uh-huh. But they have a story that has created that belief um, as to why they do what they do. But most of us don't we don't even understand or know our own stories around money. And so therefore. We don't have a good idea about what we believe, what we value, and then that plays out in our interactions with others around the topic of money. And having a financial advisor that might be able to at least begin to draw some of those stories out, it might mm-hmm. actually be kind of like a, a a mediator, right? Not that there's a, yeah. a current fight going on, but an advisor who can say, well, Christy, that it's interesting you say that. Can you tell me more about you know, what happened or why you think you feel the way you do about that, because it's important to me as I put your plan together, it may wind up facilitating a conversation between spouses where one spouse may have not even realized that their spouse had this hesitation or, or reservation when it comes to money, right? Yeah, exactly. And if there is a reservation about, I don't know, taking that European trip that you'd always wanted to take and that you'd always talked about taking, tell me why you feel that way. Uh And that might seem really uncomfortable to some financial advisors, but it's being a human. And as my one of my colleagues would say, it's okay to be a human. You need to be human so that you can seek to understand that person. And so seeking to understand that story and just asking some of those probing questions is is digging deeper and really helping to understand that person so that you yourself as an advisor can can understand what's going on. Um, and by you asking questions, you're also helping the client clarify for themselves their own story. And then you give the couple 
a whole different way of communicating with one another because they start to understand each other in a different way. Christy, as we near the end of our podcast, first of all, I've got more questions for you. So I'm going to ask if it's okay with you, if, if I could invite you to a second podcast, because I know there's more that we need to talk about. Are you willing to do that for us? Oh, you bet. That would be great. Well, just in closing out this one, I guess a question I have coming from the financial advisor standpoint is, what do you do if your clients get uncomfortable or don't want to talk about this? I mean, what what is the role of an advisor? Do I back off at that point? Or um, what would you say to do uh, yeah. if I kind of wander into troubled waters, if you would? Yeah, so this is a question I often get. Like, I don't feel comfortable talking about these sorts of things, and that's that's okay. You should not go beyond your scope of practice, and meaning you should not do the things that you're not trained to do. And um, in that case, and in in the example that you're bringing up, is that it's you can make referrals. Number one, um, especially if it is getting in the way of your client making progress towards their financial goals or implementing things that help them get to their financial goals. So making a referral is a really good option. And sometimes that's even scary because financial advisors don't necessarily have a Rolodex of therapists on their, um, <laughs> uh, in their, uh, on their desk to, to right. figure out to make that, make those referrals too. But I would encourage financial advisors to have those relationship experts in place that they can make those referrals to, just like you would have an estate attorney or a CPA or an insurance professional in which you make referrals because your client needs access to these these services, making a referral to a relationship expert and normalize it because whatever the couple is experiencing, let's say that it's some conflict around um, the, the decisions that they're making regarding their financial plan. If they if they are stuck, then that's a really normal place to be, really, because money is such uh, it's so tension producing. It's so stress producing within the couple relationship and having a relationship expert come in to either consult with. So you could invite um, a relationship expert such as a marriage and family therapist or a financial therapist, a certified financial therapist to come in to um to help with that process they could be and or you could just refer the client to go see someone um that this is a really helpful process that you might get something out of i've seen other clients gain access this is a colleague they they do this kind of work um and so there's a number of ways in which you can present that but that is certainly one way in which um couples can you as an advisor can deal with that, especially if you're not comfortable with that conversation. Well, Christy, and I think one of the ways and, and, and we'll, we'll close, but as you said that, I thought, you know, a lot of times it's about expectations, mm-hmm. maybe right up front in terms of the engagement, the financial advisor could describe to the client uh, or clients, I should say, many of the resources available to them, be they planning tools, be they relationship uh, referrals, be they, you know, the advisor brings a whole a whole uh, spectrum of 
of services or access to services and tools that can help people through this challenging period of transition in their lives. And not that any of them necessarily are going to be needed, but at some point, if they are, you just want to let the client know up front that maybe you could be a bridge to those kind of things. And that way, maybe it takes that referral out of the moment of mm-hmm. of crisis, if you will, right? To say, hey, remember yep. we talked about this. It might be a time you guys might want to think about talking to, you know, an acquaintance of mine that, that does this for my practice quite often. Yep. Um, and that might re- remove, as you said, some of the stigma from it. Exactly. Well, Dr. Christy Archuleta, thank you so much for joining us on, on this uh, edition of the Human Centric Investing Podcast. It was a pleasure hosting you. Well, thanks for having me. This has been great. And when we come back in our next episode, uh, Christy, what I'm thinking about is I know that money is often just a symptom of other issues that we're not aligned on. And when we come back in our next episode, I'd like to talk to you about some of the other issues aside from money that it's really important for clients to be aligned in. So for all of those listening today, we hope that you enjoyed this episode and we ask you to come back for our next episode of the Human Centric Investing Podcast. Thanks very much.